Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Could have been a contender. Fasten your seat. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer, kid. All real man. Love is, is Love. too weak a word. Stay back. I, I know you. I know I know you. I know you. I know you. I did as you if there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Let's back it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Rob. Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. Moonlight, Best Picture. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 61 of the next Best Picture Podcast. I am, as always, your host, Matt Neglia, and joining me today is Mr. Will Mavity. Hello, everybody. And Mr. Michael Schwartz. Hola. Speaking Spanish today, are we? Never do that again, Mike. <laughs> That's me practicing for my upcoming foreign language film for the 2018 Oscars. Oh, okay, okay. Are you going to be eligible this year? That's the question. Uh, that is up to my country of origin. Don't we, <laughs> don't we have the highest record of submissions ever for that category this year? It always tops itself year after year. I have to give credit to uh, Brian Perry, uh, who's uh, Road to Oscar on Twitter. He created a Twitter moment yesterday where he actually listed every single country's uh, submission for the category this year. I think it was something crazy like 88 or something. Wow. I don't even know what the number was, but it was something astronomical. And he did a really, really good job of just gathering all that together. Um, And it actually is a good segue into one of our fan questions this week. I know we usually save those for later in the show, but this one actually comes from uh, Jet with Jet54. Five, nine on Twitter, and she's asking us which foreign Oscar contender have you already seen, and which of them might have a chance for the short list in your opinion. So has anyone seen any contenders yet? The only two foreign movies I've seen this year, they're both Israeli movies, but they were not the submission. Foxtrot was the submission. So as much as I would have loved to see the women's balcony get some support, uh, it's not eligible. And we all have Foxtrot predicted to win right now, right? Yeah, Foxtrot was this huge hit coming out of Telluride, and I believe Toronto as well. It's a really interesting plot, and people love the movie. I still think Beats Per Minute could pull it off. I'm starting to wonder that as well. I've heard people at NYFF say it was legitimately like the best film that they saw at NYFF. And there were some pretty heavy contenders there. I think it's good for a nomination, but I think the movie itself, it all depends on what the Academy at Large thinks. And, you know, just the subject matter alone for some people, that automatically for some old school voters might be a little much. I don't know about that because, I mean, we've seen films like, you know, let's think about this for a second. Dallas Buyers Club did very, very well. uh, Philadelphia. Yeah, but Dallas Buyers Club was a lot more, I want to say, restrained. Okay, that's fair. And not as like, I don't want to use the words messy and angry, but that's sort of what this act up story is. Well, aren't we living in messy and angry times, would you say? Absolutely. 
but I just think a movie like Foxtrot might be more up their alley. That isn't a knock on beats per minute at all. Maybe. I mean, I I think anger is in right now. <laughs> anger is in. <laughs> no, but honestly, I anger mean, is I, the new black. I, I, <laughs> I, I, but I think there is some truth to that. I mean, I think the reason uh, a number of people are starting to predict three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri is because it's so angry. And, you know, people want to feel angry and have a film that reflects their frustration. I just had a vision of Sean Penn and Milk saying, I know you're angry. I'm angry. <laughs> gotta get angry. You gotta get mean. <laughs> you gotta get mad, I'm telling you. Okay, so we get three different references going on here at the same time. I still think dodgeball of those three films is easily the best. Well, if you could dodge a wrench, you can dodge ball. <laughs> Lots of people are going to be making royalties off this episode. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. I know we're going to get totally sued for copyright infringement. I'm trying to think if I've seen any foreign films this year, though. Um, I'm looking at my list. Yeah, I haven't seen any of the foreign film contenders. Um, in fact, the I'm catching up on a lot of films this year. The only film that has non-English portions I've seen this year is Okja, which is obviously not a contender. Yeah, I, the only two I've seen, I saw at NYFF, I saw Thelma and I saw The Square. And those are both official submissions for their uh, respective countries. But I can't see either one of them obviously winning. Right now, I think it's really between Foxtrot and Beats Per Minute. Uh, the Square uh, is going to be way too out there for some people. So even though it won the Palm Door. I want to see that so badly. Reading about Foxtrot here, the synopsis is, the film opens with an affluent Tel Aviv couple learning that their son, a soldier, has died in the line of duty. And it follows the parents as they mourn his death, and then follows the son's experience before his death. On paper, it it certainly sounds like it could be a contender. I mean, this category is always weird. You know, it, it on a yearly basis seems to go back and forth between whether or not voters like to go for the big popular foreign film hit of the year. I mean, like, this is the category that fucking Pan's Labyrinth lost after it, you know, won pretty much everything else is up for. So, but yeah. I'll, but the I'll, Lives of Others, though, was oh, really, so really fierce competition. And it's really phenomenal. Oh, I love yeah, that movie. So that's a very tough year. Uh, traditionally, though, you're right, Will. There's usually a runaway, obvious contender slash winner i i think the last time that we had a year where it was actually like really contentious in foreign language film to, to my memory um was the year of uh 2010 the white ribbon a prophet and the eventual winner which was help me out here oh oh um the the, the secret in their the secret eyes in their eyes yeah yeah like, that was, like, a, an insane three-way between those uh, two films where A Prophet won BAFTA, uh, White Ribbon won Golden Globe, Secret in Their Eyes ended up taking the whole thing. And all three of those films are absolutely phenomenal. You know what uh, I love for comic timing is when the Secret in Their Eyes team got up to accept their Oscar, um, Avatar had only won two Oscars. It hadn't been doing very well in the categories, but he clearly had re- rehearsed this joke. So he gets up there, he's like, oh, I'm just glad the Academy didn't consider Navi a foreign language, implying that it was going to sweep everything. Yeah. And then for the rest of the night, only won one more Oscar. <laughs> just like the joke completely <laughs> fell flat. I don't know, that's Aww. one of my all-time favorite uncomfortable comic timing moments at the Academy. That's funny. That is really funny. Um... So, getting back to the more traditional uh, format of usually how we 
you know, plan the show out. I want to ask you and Michael, uh, did you guys catch up on anything this week? See anything at home? What'd you guys? Yeah, I actually saw, you know, for the first time in a while, I actually saw a number of new films. Um, so I saw for starters last week, I went to one of those uh, midnight screenings of the Rocky Horror Picture Show, which I had never seen. Oh, wow. Oh, you'd never seen it even at home? No, I'd, I'd never seen it at all. So, but, you know, and... Oh, wow. Have you been to one of the experiences where people reenact it and throw shit at you and uh, everybody's pretty much butt-ass oh, yeah. naked in the theater? Yeah, I'd never done that before. I had no I've idea what I was going to. I've been to one of them, to. but I've seen it at home. It was so much fun. Yeah, it was an experience. Uh, but as for more recent films, I saw the Meyerowitz stories, um, which I liked. I didn't love, but I did like, you know, it was incredibly awkward as was the intention, but it was, you know, it was, it was funny. It's extremely well acted all around. I mean, like we're talking career best performances from, uh, Sandler and Stiller, uh, but the entire supporting cast is very good, obviously led by Dustin Hoffman particularly. Um, yeah, I, I was I, I was impressed. It didn't, you know, blow me away, but I definitely enjoyed it. And then uh, I'm going to keep my thoughts to myself because Matt and I are uh, reviewing this one later today. But uh, I also saw The Killing of a Sacred Deer. Okay, well, I know that's certainly a controversial movie right now, so... And that'll be expanding over the next couple of weeks. So uh, I, too, saw the Meyerowitz stories. I actually just finished about half an hour before we recorded this podcast. Making a prediction before you say anything else. It is your number one favorite film of the year. How did you know that, Matt? Ah, come on. <laughs> come yes, on. As, as of October 22nd, with about two months of movies left to see before the end of the year, Meyerowitz stories, new and selected, as its full title remains is my favorite film that's of the year so not far. surprising uh, it seemed like a mike movie or a schwartz movie i, I a really, schwartz film. really love this yes very much so and it's a bunch of little vignettes essentially like there's not really one giant through line and i think if someone were to ask me what this movie is i would basically call it the royal tenenbaums meets hannah and her sisters that's a good yeah i, I could take that this family is so specific to what Noah Baumbach intended and his actors are right on the same page with him that these are already written characters on the page but his actors bring so much life to them and a sense of presence I thought Ben Stiller was very good but it was Adam Sandler and Dustin Hoffman who really blew me away I think both should be nominated they probably won't be nominated maybe oh I think Hoffman stands a good chance if the movie were somewhat other than Netflix he would stand a much better chance. I still don't have faith in their campaigning. If I remember correctly, Michael, you don't have a single nomination for any of the Netflix movies. Is that correct? I don't, just until I'm proven wrong, because I saw how far Beasts of No Nation went a few years ago hmm. to no Oscar nominations. I mean, Idris won SAG. That, that says it all. You don't even there. think Mudbound gets in for the wasteland that is adapted screenplay. I don't. Yeah, I, I at least have Mudbound in for adapted screenplay, and... I don't have it in for anything else, but I at least have that. I also have Hoffman in for supporting I actor. I prove it wrong. I really am. Can we uh, talk about Elizabeth Marvel, who I was just we have failed to, say, to talk about so far? She was the one who would make my supporting actress line up. And it's very interesting because her character does not get a ton to do, but she really brings it and forms someone 
that you feel like you know or want to know more about. Yes, it's an underwritten role that she really helps to elevate off the page, I would say. Yeah, she is really great. Just like in a small moment, like they're sitting around a hospital bed and she talks about getting her hair cut, something like that. She really just has these small moments and she delivers it so well. Dustin Hoffman is fantastic. He's one of my all-time favorite actors, and I think this is one of his best performances, honestly. Oh, yeah. I I was a little disappointed that he doesn't factor so much into the later uh, part of the film because I wanted more. But he looms large over the whole movie. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, it's all about his relationship to uh, his children. So, uh, you know, that – and what I also like is I like how each child has a different relationship with him and how it's helped shape their personalities and it's helped them, like – come together but also come into conflict with one another as a result too and it's just them just getting their issues out with each other back and forth um as the film goes on yeah the two sons are excellent i've never seen adam sandler this good the way he delivers a monologue i didn't know he had that in him ben stiller is great i think i like him a little bit more in brad's status this year but he just continues to impress with great work all around yeah and even emma thompson has some great moments sure Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, my favorite aspect of the film overall is I just love, I love, I love, I love the way that Noah Baumbach edited the film on certain moments to cut away to the title cards uh, at, like, the most appropriate. Yeah, it's like in the middle of a conversation. He's like, fuck you, and then it just cuts off. Yeah. Yeah, when, whenever yeah. Adam Sandler would get angry and tell someone to fuck off, I, would, I just died. You know, the, oh. the parking is so relatable. When he, yeah. Oh, yeah. When he's trying to parallel park and someone honks by, he's like, fuck you. Just, oh, my God. <laughs> I really love the songs. Oh, yeah? Like, I know Randy Newman did a lot of the score, and he does the song over the credits. Hmm. But the little moments that Adam Sandler has at the piano with Grace Van Patten. Oh, yeah. He wrote those songs with uh, Noah Bumbach. And, and if the music branch were willing to be a little risky, I would love to see one of them nominated for original song. Yeah, I texted Matt about that last week when I was watching. He's like, it's not going to happen. It's probably not going to happen, but that would be great. Academy Award nominee Adam Sandler for song. Oh, I honestly, God. that would be, you know, I, I would like, I would just pretend it was for the Hanukkah song, you know, like 20 yeah. years late. <laughs> you know, he's a really talented guy, even if his talents are wasted in really stupid comedies. He's capable of doing great stuff, and I'm really glad he had the opportunity to shine here. If anything, I hope he gets like a Golden Globe nomination at least. I think that could very oh, well happen. I, I, actually, I think I mean that that category is going to be stacked this year. But I do think he stands he, probably more so than Stiller, even though I think Stiller had the good better performance, just because people yeah. already people already remembered that Stiller was a good actor. I, I don't know that they did for Sandler, so. On one final note with this movie, you know what it reminded me a lot of, aside from Royal Tenenbaums and uh, Hannah and her sisters? Mm. Of all the things, meet the Fockers. Mm. Because <laughs> this guy that Dustin Hoffman is playing, you have him and Ben Stiller, father and son again. But this guy, Harold Meyerowitz, is sort of like the New York art world counterpart to Bernie Fokker. Oh, I totally feel that. I totally feel that. And you know they probably joked about it on set with one another, I'm sure. You know, yeah. here we are again. <laughs> and I love that. I love those movies, aside from the third one. which is I got to ask you guys, um, because we've all seen it, where does it rank for you in Noah Baumbach's filmography? You know, I've only, I've only other... Uh, I've only seen Francis Ha otherwise. 
So it's it's hard for me to really say. I haven't seen the Squid and the Whale or. Oh, you'd love this to Will Squid and the Whale, Will. Oh, I'm yeah, sure. Will. I've, just I've to put it into like... context, Squid and the Whale is my number one Noah Baumbach. I would say Mywood Stories, st- Stories. I can't talk is at number three. Uh, Francis Hod put it number two. You know what? Looking at all his movies, because I've seen everything he's directed, uh, I really love a lot of them. I think Meyerowitz might be my favorite. Yeah. I'd probably go Meyerowitz, Francis Ha, Mistress America, Greenberg. Nice. Awesome. Okay. Uh, Michael, anything else that you caught up on this week? That was it. I was actually really busy this week, but I'm hoping to see uh, Goodbye Christopher Robin later on. Oh, God. Other things. Uh, so I saw Goodbye Christopher Robin. And I can honestly tell you, I did not think it was awful. (laughs) I actually was quite surprised at how much I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, I really don't have anything else to say on the matter regarding it, but I mean... It's not an Oscar movie, just like a piece of entertainment. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. Um, I also saw The Killing of a Sacred Deer, which, as Will said earlier, he and I are going to be talking about that. Uh, What else did I see? Um, Oh... I also saw The Snowman. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. My podcast review of that is up, and you guys can definitely hear my thoughts on that film there in more detail if you'd like, but it is the worst film of 2017 for me. Oh, I wow. did not get a good feeling about this when I heard that Michael Fassbender was playing a character named Harry Hall. <laughs> well, oh, here's yeah. the thing. This film, the character's... There, there are no characters. They're just actors on the screen saying lines. It, it, to a certain, it gets to a certain point where the dialogue is so utterly meaningless that the last half an hour of the film, I wasn't even listening for dialogue anymore, and I was just watching the visuals of the film. I, I could care less what they were talking about because nothing made sense in this movie. It is the most incoherent, sloppy, laziest movie I've seen this year, and it is just awful and to prove the point of how awful it is val kilmer was going through oral cancer while he was filming this movie they should have taken him out of the film instead he's on screen his role has absolutely nothing to do with the plot whatsoever and they could have easily have just cut him out completely and it would have had no bearing but instead all of his lines because apparently he could barely speak they're all audibly dubbed over oh and God. it is really really bad it's like a it's like though as if it's a either a bad foreign language film dubbing or he has cgi lips it, it, it's like just the most atrocious thing and the fact that they were just willing to keep going forward with it instead of making the good decision to just get rid of it shows you how lazy this movie is. Holy shit. That sounds like I need to see it to believe it though. It it is in that category of you, you do need to see it to believe how bad it really is. And people who have been saying it's like the room of 2017. No, the room is an entertaining movie because of how bad it is. This movie is just boring. Hmm. Are the performances good at all? Nope. Fastbender's just sleepwalking, basically, through the role. The marketing is so funny, because you see ads on TV now, and it starts with, from executive producer Martin Scorsese. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they're trying. They're trying pretty hard, and it ain't going nowhere. You know, it's funny because uh, we were talking about how Thomas Alfredson is such a good director, and he has said that they weren't able to shoot 10 to 15% of the script, that 
it is possible that this could be the kind of film that goes back to the editing room and we get different cuts of it to try and make it a better film over time. Maybe it's like the new Blade Runner or something. Uh, it gets me a little generous. <laughs> the Snowman 2049. But you got to remember, this is from the guy that gave us Let the Right One In and Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. We know that this director is more than capable of creating a really excellent film. This is just not it. This is like, this is so, so, so awful. I... Oh my god! I mean, I took the film. I took the Twitter while watching the film. I was that bored out of my mind. And I normally do not do that. I also didn't feel bad because I was in the last row and there was absolutely nobody in my theater, and you know nobody could see me on my phone. But what? Jesus Christ! This movie was awful. Um, that's all I have to say on what I got a chance to catch up on this week. I'm actually later on today seeing Brawl in Cell Block Ninety Nine. And also, um, Only the Brave. So I thought you'd already seen Only the Brave. Nah, man, I'm seeing it later tonight. I was supposed to see it earlier, but things got in the way, so I, uh, okay. I'm seeing it later today. So I'm, I'm also going to say on that film, if it, it, depending on if it makes money, I guess, I really am starting to see it as one of those random lone sound nominees, either for mixing or editing, that just pops up. You know, kind of like Unstoppable or Lone Survivor. Like... Because it has been so surprisingly well reviewed, and it's obviously going to be a sound showcase with wildfires and explosions and shit. Can we talk about sound for a minute? Because the the problem I'm having with sound right now is it's a mixture of you're trying to fit in those blockbuster films because that's normally where they show up. You're trying to also factor in what, you know, maybe one or two best picture nominees. And then you're also trying to factor in the obscure lone sound nominee, like you just said, Will. And I feel like, I feel like the categories are impossible to predict this year because of that. I mean, obviously the race will define itself more. You know, usually I go either, uh, 9 for 10 or 10 for 10 in predicting those categories by the time we get to January. But yeah, I think the one, the obvious ones we cannot count out are Dunkirk. That's all but guaranteed. No, that is guaranteed for a nomination. Um, we can also assume that Star Wars will uh, get into one or both because Star Wars films always get sound nominations. Uh, we can probably say that even if it underperforms Blade Runner 2049 will get in because they like Denis Villeneuve films in these categories and also uh, it's an incredible sound showcase so I would say those three films show up in both categories that leaves us two remaining spots I haven't seen Shape of Water but I think Shape of Water from what I've heard since there's creature sound effects and echoey chambers I think it stands a chance at getting into at least one of the sound categories um, would you agree with that, having seen the film? Yeah, I have Shape of Water right now in for sound mixing, along with uh, Wonderstruck. I took Baby Driver out, but left no! Baby Driver in sound. I left Baby Driver in sound editing. Uh, the mixing is the true showcase in Baby Driver, though. That's going to be so sad if it misses there. Well, then, if that were the case, then, if I were to put it back into mixing, because I don't see it getting into both. No, I don't Then either. in sound editing, I would probably say... I am God. It's so difficult because you know Mother still has impressive sound design, regardless of what people think of the movie. Detroit has really good sound editing and sound mixing. Um, obviously, then there's you know like we said before, like Baby Driver. Then you also have to factor in Wonder Woman possibly showing up somewhere. 
I think Wonder Woman is going to show up in at least one category. They seem to be campaigning it hard, and it's a very well-liked film. It's certainly not outside the realm of possibility. You also have, you know, if it does become a major contender, uh, The Post. Just because, you know, they, uh, Bridge of Spies almost got a, no, Bridge of Spies did get a sound nomination. Lincoln did, yeah. did, Lincoln did as well. I mean, they love Spielberg films. And you look at something like the King's Speech and the Social Network, you see, like, the best picture frontrunners show up in here all the time. Plus, his films are already well mixed. Uh, Darkest Hour as well, you know, it is technically a war film and also echoey. Uh, parliament chambers and stuff you know there, there's a potential to yeah. showcase that like it's it is you're right i mean it's very very hard to kind of figure out exactly what is going to get in where you also have the greatest showman uh coco just because you know they have coco is a music-based film and it's an animated film which are two that two categories that always managed to uh, not always, but often manage to show up because they have to create an entire soundscape. And then if you're balancing songs, uh, if they really like Get Out, Get Out could get into one of them, you know, because horror films have opportunities for all kinds of intriguing sound effects. And then we know nothing about the 1517 to Paris, but that could get in as well, a la Sully last year, you know. Is that still happening? I I think that's getting pushed. Yeah, I mean, the fact we haven't heard a word about it in two months and we haven't gotten an official release date makes me think that even though they said it was going to be ready for the end of the year, I'm inclined to say no. Yeah, um, uh, there's a couple of films that are coming out like this year like hostiles for example where it's just like i really wish you guys would have just pushed it you know i hear chappaquiddick has been pushed to 2018 yes it's like i i need i need stuff to look forward to in 2018 you know and as a result i i just hate that there's still so much left to be seen because they're just uh, i just hate when you have so many favorites you know and things that you want to see get in and you ultimately got to kill your darlings and you know make sacrifices here and there, you know? So, Jesus Christ, I, Tanya, could show up in a sound category for, you know, the ice skating scenes or something. I don't I, I don't know, you know what I mean? Oh, and I am predicting that now to get into makeup, I think. It just feels like, particularly, they just had a, a piece on the makeup in the film. You know, they have different stages of Tanya Harding makeup. They did it on a low budget, just like that. It's from the people who did Dallas, Dallas Buyers Club. Club. Right, yeah. And they're going to play up the fact they did it on a low budget again. I think it's going to get in for makeup, and I'm starting to think yeah. it gets in for editing, too. And not just Tanya Harding. You have uh, Alice and Jenny turning into Levana. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, like, there's a lot of makeup shown off there. I mean, when we talk about makeup this year, this really seems to be uh, one of those years where it's not, like, the most showy makeup. Like, yes, there is stuff like Guardians of the Galaxy that could show up there, maybe Star Wars, who knows. But the makeup contenders that we're really discussing this year are, you know— human faces applying like old age makeup we have things like darkest hour um all the money in the world we're thinking could possibly show up there hell even logan is still something that you know is on the table and i just find it really interesting that with things like i tanya as well like kind of factoring in at this point we're looking at a category this year where it could just be subtle makeup that's effective as opposed to the um what's the word i'm looking for here more is more is better. Uh, you know, you, you know what I'm more referring to. Stuff. Yeah. Exactly. So I, th- I wouldn't call something like Darkest Hour subtle, but it is interesting that most of the perceived frontrunners 
really only feature one character under makeup. You know, all the money in the world and Darkest Hour. They're just those two, the the one character in each of their films. I, Tanya has two people. If it factors in, that would basically just be for Pennywise. You know, it, it, it is interesting. Uh, I wouldn't say it's subtle, but it's more just a limited use. It will be like one or two really strong uses of makeup. And then the bake-off will happen and the eliminations will occur and we're yeah. all going to be like, what the hell is going on? They, they eliminated this from contention. Are you kidding me? Yeah, like some, they did last year. Something, well, like they do every year. Something like... like Lincoln missing? I mean, that's not even the weirdest. I mean, like, every that same year, Cloud Atlas didn't get in after everyone was... Oh, yeah, that blew my mind. I couldn't believe Cloud Atlas missed. Didn't even make the shortlist, you know? Like, it's it's a yearly thing. It just blows my mind what doesn't make it last year, Hacksaw and Jackie. Uh, but it's, it's a constant. So it'll fuck with us, and some random Swedish film we haven't even considered will pop up and end up getting nominated, probably. Hello, everyone. This is JD from the In Session Film Podcast. Each week, we review the latest from Hollywood, California. Well, yes, Brendan. We also give top three lists. Okay. Yeah. Thanks again, Brendan. Additionally, you can hear us talk other movie news, trailers, varying movie series, or other interesting film-related topics, and even rants and raves of the week. That's correct, Brendan. On top of our main show, every Friday... You can also hear our extra film podcasts. Good job, Brendan. Thank you, JD. It's my goal to make you proud. You're the father, after all. (laughs) Yes, and I'm very proud. Uh, You can listen to the In Session Film podcast on... iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at InSessionFilm.com. Brendan, will you please let me complete just one... Nope. Oh, for heaven's sake. Listen to the In Session Film podcast every Monday and Friday. Subscribe today and hear me verbally beat JD like a Cherokee drum. No, 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 no. That's not how this works, sir. Hey, you you, you go cry at Midnight Special again, okay? That's what you're good for. I will. You know what? And I'll do it while pummeling you. I'll do both at the same time. How are you going to pummel me? Yeah, I I don't don't buy that. That's just how (laughs) it works. All right, let's talk about the Gotham Awards uh, from this week. And like I was saying, uh, this, this is... The official beginning of the precursor season. It's our first announcement of uh, nominations that will occur all throughout the year. The ceremony is expected to take place on Monday, November 27, 2017. This is a uh, New York-based group that hands out the best for the year, an independent film. And there's quite a bit of variety in here that I was very, very, very pleased with. You know, um, I'll read through... Uh, the categories here. So we have um, for Breakthrough Actor, Mary J. Blige for Mudbound, Timothy Chalamet for Call Me By Your Name, Harris Dickinson for Beach Rats, Kelvin Harrison Jr. for It Comes at Night, and Brooklyn Prince for The Florida Project. Uh, any predicted winners in there, gentlemen? I think Brooklyn Prince. Oh, I think Chalamet. I think Chalamet, oh, too. Yeah, Chalamet, yeah. He's, okay. He's got, yeah, he's got such a strong year. It's a definition of a breakthrough. I by the way, did you see that he had an embarrassing career as a white rapper in high school and that videos of him rapping and doing music video went viral this week? Yes, I did. Oh, it was so beautiful. <laughs> He's a really talented actor, though. You go back to Homelander, Miss Stevens, and he has these roles in smaller independent films. So that he gets a breakout here is really exciting. I know people are really pulling for Mary J. Blige to pull off a win here, but uh, they also have to remember that the Gotham jury uh, gave a special award to the ensemble from Mudbound that will go to Mulligan, Hedlund, Clark, Mitchell, Blige, Morgan, and Banks. So I think that, 
you know, they don't have to necessarily pick her and break through actor as a result. And if it's between Timothy and Brooklyn Prince, I would say Timothy wins because he stands a chance at actually being nominated for Best Actor in the end. Unless if they really, really, really love the Florida Project. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. This would be Chalamet. Then for Best Actress, it's uh, Melanie Linsky for I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore, a film that I think, if my memory recalls, was a Netflix film from February or January. And I'm just like amazed that they remembered this. Yeah, but it was also the Sundance jury winner. You know, like it. Yeah, that's true. Haley Lou Richardson uh, for Columbus, Margot Robbie for Itania, Saoirse Ronan for Lady Bird, and Lois Smith for Marjorie Prime, which, yes, I was very happy to see Lois Smith show up. Um, do we think this is where the Margot Robbie thing starts to, you know, the train starts to, you know, depart from the station? Yeah, they loved the movie. I mean, it did well in other categories, too. So if she's out and about and the movie's really that great, possibly. It blows my mind, honestly. Uh, A lot of things are blowing your mind, huh? Yes. Sally Hawkins was eligible for this, and she completely missed. Shape of Water missed across the board. Yeah, it it didn't get in anywhere, and it was eligible. Like, I mean, it's just the Gotham's. Like, it doesn't mean that much. But it is surprising because it could have gotten in. And this is where things like Jackie first started underperforming last year. That was very telling for its chances down the line. Interesting. I think that The Shape of Water might be more of an Academy movie than a critics movie. I agree and disagree. I think it will still do well at some critics group. I could definitely see Guillermo getting wins here and there for director screenplay. And I think the film is definitely going to win a few awards for score and production design across the season. Oh, yeah. yeah. But I, but you're right, though, Michael. I think this is more an Academy film overall. It, like, it's not going to sweep any critics group. It'll win an award or two here and there, but it's definitely right. like, not, it not like a... New York critics, but maybe like Atlanta or Chicago critics, something like that. Uh, yeah, one of the more regional critics groups, maybe. But I, I, I can tell you right now, I just don't see it being like a, a sweeper, you know, film. For any of the critics groups. Uh, Okay, so then for Best Actor, Willem Dafoe for The Florida Project, James Franco for The Disaster Artist, Daniel Kaluuya for Get Out, Robert Pattinson for Good Time, Adam Sandler for The Myrwood Stories, New and Selected, and Harry Dean Stanton for Lucky. Holy crap. That's a really good lineup. lineup. That is ridiculous. I still have a few to see here, but that is really impressive. I think Willem Dafoe is going to take it just because he seems to be unstoppable he also is the way for the whole season to recognize the florida project yeah sort of like jk simmons was for whiplash exactly until that started to win editing and sound mixing and all that craziness yeah the only three i could possibly see winning this are defoe pattinson actually i would argue i love that nomination that's such an inspired choice absolutely he's phenomenal in that movie and uh Harry Dean Stanton, who honestly still stands a chance to possibly even show up at things like SAG. Yeah, yeah he's oh, absolutely. great in that movie. He's really, really great. I wish Adam Sandler had a shot, but it's not going to happen most likely. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, it, wouldn't it be amazing, though, if James Franco surprised everybody? I think he's good for an Oscar nomination if he keeps going like this. Yeah, I, I think I, so, too. I, I've started predicting him for a nomination, which would be one of pr- the most inspired choices in the Academy's history for an acting nomination. So, oh, no, no Gyllenhaal. That's that's very surprising. Well, 
Michael has been saying now for a couple of weeks that the buzz seems to be dying. And I mean, granted, this is the first critics group, you know, so it's not the be all end all. But yes, there it's another it is another argument to be made that his buzz is certainly waning and it could happen that he may drop off in the end. I don't hear anybody really talking about that movie, and the box office was dismal. It didn't even make five million dollars. Yeah, yeah, it was that was horrific. So, best screenplay: The Big Sick, Brad Status, Call Me by Your Name, Columbus, Get Out, Lady Bird. You don't bring James Ivory to an award ceremony to give him a loss. Yeah, I'm. I think I'm he thinking. Wins. I'm thinking it's either Call Me by Your Name or The Big Sick. Uh, no, they really. Or maybe uh, even Get Out. Get Out because they. That's the big uh, nominee of. You know, it, it got the most nominations. I think it's probably a firm second because they clearly really like the film. Well, the next category is where I think that that film could get its reward. Well, really, really quick, while we're still on screenplay, got to give a shout out to my favorite Brad status here. God damn it. Me and my uh, middle-aged white person problem. God damn it, Ew. Michael. As Mac would say. You know that's getting cut. Uh, next yes. award is Bingham Ray Breakthrough Director Award. Maggie Betts for Novitiate, Greta Gerwig for Lady Bird, Kagonada <laughs> for Columbus. I don't even know if I'm getting that right. Jordan Peele for Get Out, Joshua Z. Weinstein for Manesh. Not that Weinstein. Nope. Uh, uh, this is where I think they give Jordan Peele a win. Jordan Peele or Greta Gerwig? Yeah, okay. I, I, I could see them spreading the love. And then over in Best Documentary, we have Ex Libris, The New York Public Library, Rat Film, Strong Island, Who Streets, The Work. Uh, the only film that I have seen of those is Who Streets, and it's actually the only one I've actually heard of. So, Ex Libris is the new Frederick Wiseman about the New York Public Library system. So I should definitely seek it out and see it. If you like three and a half hour documentaries about the libraries, then yeah. <laughs> that sounds awful. Best feature, Call Me By Your Name, The Florida Project, Get Out, Good Time, I, Tanya. Hmm, I'm not really sure, actually. This is very tricky because you potentially have Florida Project winning for Defoe, Get Out winning director, Call Me By Your Name winning screenplay and breakthrough for Chalamet, uh, I, Tanya winning actress. Uh, this is... This is insane. I think it's a three-film race between Get Out, Florida Project, and Call Me By Your Name. At the very end, I think it will ultimately go to the Florida Project. I'm going with Call Me By Your Name. I think Call Me By Your Name, too. But yeah, that's that's very tough. Very, very tough. Yeah. And I'm really, really excited that we have the chance to talk about these kinds of things again, by the way. Let me just put that forward and say um, the precursor season is officially here, and it just makes me so, so happy to finally see um, these conversations come back to the forefront again. All year long, we've been talking about the films that we've seen in theaters and what their potential might be, where they might contend, et cetera, et cetera. And now, first of many, where we're going to finally start to hear, hopefully, a general consensus start to form and the shape of the race will finally come more into focus. And uh, this is really the most exciting part of the year. And I'm just really, really happy. <laughs> uh, righty. Let's move over to last week's poll results and then also for this week's poll. So last week's poll, which film is your favorite true story with a heroic ensemble? The choices were 13 Hours, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi, All the President's Men, Apollo 13, Argo, Black Hawk Down, Deepwater Horizon, Glory, Lone Survivor, Patriot's Day, For Right Stuff, Spotlight, United 93, and there was a write-in option as well. 
overwhelming majority winner with 33.33% of the vote. Anyone want to take a guess? Apollo 13? That was my guess, too. Spotlight. Hmm. Ah, that's very good to hear. I didn't know that people still felt that passionate about, passionately about the film. To put this in perspective, 33.33% of the vote went to Spotlight. Second place was a tie between two films, and they only received 9.52% of the vote. So we're looking at, essentially, in second place here, the tie was between Black Hawk Down and The Right Stuff. Wow. And then third place... Had a one, two, three, four, four, well, not really a four-way tie, but three-way tie between three films. And then there were uh, there were votes for the other category, which allowed for, um, uh, it was like the same number of votes. So really, it's a three-way uh, tie. All the President's Men, Apollo 13, and Argo all tied for third place. Our readers have very good taste. Yeah, write-in options uh, were Rabbit Proof Fence, Suffragette. The Martian, that's not a true story. That's not a true story. <laughs> not that you know. Yeah, right? I, I'll tell you this much. When I watched The Martian, I actually did kind of feel like this is something that could could have actually have happened. <laughs> I really well, didn't or, get that or, or sense. in the future can. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Dunkirk was another write-in option, and uh, I don't know why this got a write-in, but apparently people really love Spotlight, because Spotlight got a write-in nomination. <laughs> I love how well Spotlight did. That is a fantastic ensemble through and through. Oh, totally. Except for Mark Ruffalo. Oh, God, Will, he's fine in the movie. You gotta let that go. It's time! They knew! And they let it happen! Oh, it's it's a, a horrendous nomination on his for him. Get over it. Uh, which is the best film that deals with wartime PTSD? That is the question for this week's poll, and it is tied to the release of the Miles Teller film, Thank You for Your Service. The choices include American Sniper, the best years of our lives. Born on the 4th of July. Brothers. Coming home. The Deer Hunter. The Hurt Locker. First Blood. Jackknife. Jacob's Ladder. And Taxi Driver. And of course, there is a write-in option in case if one of your choices is not listed. You know, I, I think we do need to include in there, um, or for, I guess, anyone listening, you can include this as a write-in option. We talked about Adam Sandler. There was another time Adam Sandler gave a good performance, and that was 2007's Rain Over Me, which is kind of, you know, it's it's a PTSD movie. Maybe not uh, exactly war, but kind of. And then also... I still haven't seen that. It's a very good performance in his part. And then also, I'm going to argue Gran Torino, too. That could be a write-in option that may pull enough votes in for a win, actually. That's a very, very popular film. Michael? What do I think is going to win? Mm-hmm. Uh, looking at this list, I mean, it all depends on what people gravitate towards. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a lot of love for The Deer Hunter or even Taxi Driver. You know what should win? Uh, the best years of our lives. I was just going to say, Harold Russell, I believe his name yeah. was. Mm-hmm. That's really incredible. Yeah. Uh, that that should be the winner. But knowing our readership, they'll probably gravitate to something more recent or um, something that just has a larger following, if anything. But for those that have never seen it before, it's The incredible. Best Years of Our Lives is one of the greatest films ever made. And it is a masterpiece and you need to see it. Yeah. I, I want to go watch that movie again. It's been years. Okay, so be sure to vote on that 
poll. It is currently live on nextbestpicture.com. We would love to certainly hear what you guys think is the best film featuring wartime PTSD. Let's move over now to some general fan questions over here. First one up. This actually is from last week, but we didn't get a chance to answer it. It is from John Anzalone, and the question is, can anyone think of a seemingly sure, sure-free, uh, sure sure-fire? Fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyone think of a seemingly sure-fire acting nominee or potential win that completely ended up being a non-factor for the Oscars? Someone who you were sure would get that nomination after early buzz, but then made barely a dent in the precursors, no less major awards. My example would probably be Vanessa Redgrave and Coralie... Coriolanus. Coriolanus. I I can never, ever say that one correctly. So, anyone have any examples? Yes. Well, it's funny. There's actually a Tumblr page from uh, Joe Reed, who does a lot of Oscar stuff on Twitter, and the page is called This Had Oscar Buzz. Oh, I love that Tumblr. Matt, uh, the prime example's got to be Oprah for the butler. People were predicting that all season, you know, like... Reported. But she showed up at like SAG and Golden Globes. I would actually yeah. make an argument that, yeah, because she did show up, I would make another argument for someone like, because uh, he was just off the uh, heels of a nomination for Les Miserables. I would say Hugh Jackman in Prisoners. Did he have a lot of buzz going in, though? That trailer where people saw like, you know, uh, not you, but me, you know, and he's like, I don't know. I remember people thinking, oh, man, Hugh Jackman could do the, you know, double nomination back-to-back years, and it it never went anywhere. I know this isn't exactly fair because of what happened with the movie, but I don't think we could talk about this without mentioning The Birth of a Nation and Nate Parker last year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's true. What about Aaron Eckhart and Bleed for this last year? Yeah, that's a good one. Jake Gyllenhaal and Southpaw. Liam Neeson for Silence. <laughs> Yeah, we really wrote that one out until, what, like the day before nominations or something like that? Oh, we totally something did. Like that, yeah. I, I mean, at least I did. I, Oh, my God. I, I, I feel so foolish because I remember I was predicting that back in, like, January all year long. Oh, Cameron wow. Diaz for The Counselor. Yes. Oh, my God. What a shit show movie that was. Horrible. Wow. The Monuments Men. Oh, Yeah. Jeez, we need oh. to give up on George Clooney, I think, being a solid director of anything other than political thrillers at this point. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. And, I mean, it's funny I'm saying that because Suburbicon uh, comes out this week, but it, it's just the proof is in the pudding. The guy's only made two good movies, and they're both political dramas, you know, The Ides of March and uh, Good Night and Good Luck. So, See, I know that his movies aren't great, but I enjoy watching them because I sort of like what he's trying to do, even if they don't always work out the way that, that they should. Well, it's that like old school slapstick comedy, you know, yeah. that, so yeah, I, I totally to get see it. see Suburbicon and just see what he's doing with it. Yeah. I'm more interested to see uh, the flair of the Coen, Coen uh, Brothers um, screenplay. Apparently, the, the Coen Brothers script had nothing to do with uh, racial overtones and civil rights movement. And apparently... Co- uh, Clooney came in and added all that, and it's turned into something of a Frankenstein's monster. So I think, like, yeah, I, I think it is, you know, it is Clooney's contributions apparently that all their well intentioned seem to have really derailed it. So that's kind of shitty. I I don't know how much Cohen is even left in there. Uh, question from Stephen Keller, Stephen M. Keller on Twitter. 
what is one historical event slash person that you would like to see a movie about and who should direct and star? I think this is a question for you, Will. Oh, man. Okay. Um, so the one I brought up last year, I think, was uh, Agna Dicey, which I'm not going to give the entire story uh, again on air. You can go back to like March to find that. But that's a classic bit of uh, Greek classical history that's incredibly cinematic by its very nature um another well i would have said gary hart until basically you it's know, happening it's happening finally all last fall i was like we need a gary hart movie we need a gary hart movie and then finally it's gonna happen with jason reitman and hugh jackman uh oh god damn it i wish i had my list of uh, historical topics i would love here um tell you what Bring that question back next week to our dear listeners, and I'll have you a full list. I'm going to do my homework on this, because I'm a resident history junkie here. Well, really quick, I actually do have one that I know we've actually seen a snippet of this character in a movie about 12 years ago, but I would love to see like a whole life story, and that is former Israeli Prime Minister Golda Meir. Oh, yeah, that would be very cinematic. I know you could obviously have like Natalie Portman, but if you go back to Steven Spielberg's Munich you have the actress Lynn Cohen playing her in a scene. And she was absolutely terrific. I don't know if you could do a whole movie about, like, older Golda Meir, or you would go back and have a younger actress play her. But just some sort of biopic would be really fascinating. Oh, I have I have one. Uh, Santa Anna. Santa Anna from, you know him from the Alamo, was the just incredibly uh, ostentatious president of Mexico deposed and reinstated himself via coups 11 times. He, uh, he lost his leg in a military campaign. And when he became the president of Mexico, he insisted that everyone give it full military burials. We're talking everyone in Mexico lines the streets and sees his severed leg be given a full uh, procession through the town. It's then buried, given full military honors. When people turn against him, they dig his leg up, shit on it, and then drag it throughout the street. Like, years later when it's rotting and uh, behind horses. And then, basically, he goes into battle uh, after he gets deposed during the Mexican-American War. He comes back and he gets his prosthetic leg shot off. Uh, It is now still... The U.S. stole his prosthetic leg and it's chilling in a museum in Illinois. His whole life is so absurd. It would make for a great... I don't know, like Terry Gilliam-esque dark comedy. Two-time Oscar winner Javier Bardem. Yes. Yes, exactly. Javier Bardem and the Coens. Let's make it happen. (laughs) Okay. Uh, This question, we kind of got to it earlier a little bit but let's just go into a little bit more detail this one's from jared kozel jay kozel on twitter which gotham best actor nominee has the best chance at the oscar field i'm thinking james franco but could a strong get out showing elevate kalua i don't think kalua is going to actually happen but i actually have him in the mix yeah i don't have him in the mix at all but yeah i guess if there's one who's definitely gonna try to be in the top tier it'll be franco yeah, I, I think Franco has a much better chance. I've, I have Kaluuya at, like, I don't know, 12 or something. Yeah, he's not in my 10, so. And then for, this is like a two-parter, same thing from Jared again. Uh, and for Actress, and Michael, you're going to love this, are we underestimating seven-time nominee Dame Judi Dench? 
I know that the movie is middling, but it's making money, and I have her in seventh place in my predictions. So I talked about this movie a few weeks ago, but I know Matt had a chance to see it recently. So mm-hmm. why don't you take it and I'll comment? She's good. She's she's good, and she's Judy Dench. People love her, and I think that it could happen. She's in my ten, but I don't have her predicted to make it all the way. I just I can't see it happening with the contenders that are trying to get in right now like my six comprises of or maybe maybe seven i don't know but like you think about uh margot robbie uh who else do i have in there sally hawkins meryl streep jessica chastain um i'm, I'm running out of names uh, saoirse, ronan. saoirse ronan yep uh kate winslet you know i i have them all above her i think chastain and ronan are really gunning for that nomination in the Judy Dench spot. It's really the three of them competing for the fifth uh, spot here. Yeah, I feel like that's so, the case. About It's all about how it really plays out, what people think of these movies. I have a feeling that even if Lady Bird does well, like Best Picture, Best Screenplay, and all that, what if it's like Amy Adams missing for a rival? They obviously love the movie. But for some reason, the lead actress doesn't make it in. I need to see Saoirse Ronan show up as a consistent presence all throughout the season in order for me to put her above right now, uh, Dench and Chastain. Because people are telling me that the Chastain buzz at a tiff is that she's good in the movie, but apparently we overestimated how good she is in the movie. Those initial reactions definitely cooled down. I think it was like people tweeting as soon as they came out of the theater saying it's Sorkin's best work and stuff. And then the buzz is all but gone. Plus they moved the film to like December 25th, which I feel like is going to, it's going to get lost in the shuffle. I think it would have had a much better chance they kept it in November. You know, that's also yeah, good. Plus yeah. it would have been like one of two wide releases that weekend next to Coco. Oh, and before I can hear people screaming right now, yes, I realize I did leave off Francis McDormand off my oh. list, but I, 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 I apologize for that. I was just trying to think of names. I actually have her at number two behind Margot Robbie in my own predictions right now. So I just want to let people know I did not forget about Francis. I think Judy Dench is this such a force in that movie and you have the old guard of amp is still around they'll love her she has such range she gets to do comedy and spoiler alert dying so it worked for meryl streep last year in florence foster jenkins with no, another stephen freers yep they exactly. love the stephen freers movies you go back to judy dench in mrs henderson presents or helen mirren and the queen judy and philomena he really knows how to work with these women and get them nominated. Okay, going back to A24 for a second here. Do you think A24 is going to put their weight behind Florida Project or Lady Bird for Best Picture? It's difficult for a small studio to run a dual campaign. So which of those two do you think that A24 is going to back? I, Yeah, I do think they're going to campaign the Florida Project. It's doing incredibly well in limited release. People seem to respond to this movie with passionate love. Yeah, because I I think A twenty four they might be a small ish studio, but we saw in like twenty fifteen they were able to mount successful campaigns for a number of films. You know, you had uh, Ex Mahina and Room show up throughout the season at a lot of guilds and ultimately win some Oscars. Plus, you had things like their documentary Amy that also won uh, for documentary. I mean, I think they're capable of mounting campaigns for multiple films simultaneously. I mean, they got two films in original screenplay last year with uh, 20th Century Women, The Lobster, and a win for Moonlight and Adapted. So 
I, I think they're more than capable of handling multiple films, Disaster Artist, Lady Bird, Florida Project. Um, I think Florida Project, though, is going to be the one they'll probably push the hardest, I would say. All right, next question as it pertains to this year's Oscar race. This one is from Ryan McQuaid. And the question is, what are the realistic Oscar chances for Phantom Thread and The Last Jedi at this point? Well, we don't really know a ton about Phantom Thread aside from this synopsis that came out the other day. We learned that uh, the character's name is, uh, forget the first name, something Woodcock. <laughs> I'm such an immature child. So, yes, g- g- giggle away. We got uh, Woodcock and Harry Hull on this podcast. So. <laughs> That's actually pretty yes. funny. Uh, well played, Mike. That's pretty funny. <laughs> so we don't really know a ton about this. I have no idea what's going to happen with Phantom Thread. It just sounds like on one side of the coin, it could be total Oscar bait. On the other, it sounds like Paul Thomas Anderson doing whatever he tends to do. So we probably won't even know until we actually see the movie. I have it in for actor and costumes, and that is it. Even they, those feel pretty shaky, though. Uh, I think costumes, if anything, is more likely than Daniel Day-Lewis at this point. 1950s London fashion. I've heard this movie described as Mike Lee directing Fifty Shades of Grey. (laughs) We'll see. Trailers should be releasing uh, this week, apparently. So hopefully we'll get a little bit of a glimpse and we'll know a little bit more by then. Or maybe it's a sequel to that Billy Bob Thornton movie, Mr. Woodcock. (laughs) Jesus. This one's from Danny M. Cinema Paradox. What could be this year's What the Fuck SAG nomination? Last year it was Emily Blunt. The one before it was Helen Mirren and Sarah Silverman. What is it going to be this year? Hmm. I would not be surprised if we saw the Meyerowitz stories get in for Ensemble. Yeah. yeah. I, I, but I, I think Ensemble... Here's the thing with ensemble. It's so. I've been looking through the category the last couple of years, and there's usually an ensemble one or two nominees that most people don't see coming. Um, I think what I think what uh, Danny's more curious about is the individual acting categories and who is the one person that literally nobody has in their predictions, like a Damian Bashir. You know what I mean? Uh, Then going through my list, let's see. I I would argue, and this is going to sound crazy like this is gonna sound crazy uh patrick stewart for logan could be like that kind of a nomination i want it to happen it's not gonna happen i i no, i'm not even saying i'm not even saying want to happen and you can't and here's the thing saying it's not gonna happen isn't that exactly what we're trying to predict here rv not going to happen and then it just <sighs> magically somehow happens i but it just seems like, if, there, if you had told me last year that Emily Blunt could get in, I would have been like, I don't think so. But it would kind of make sense in their wheelhouse. They're just so anti-superhero. I Yeah, I don't see that. You know who I do see happening, though, in lead actor, possibly? Mm. Donald Sutherland for The Leisure Seeker. Yeah, I, that feels like kind of random thing that could show up. Maybe this is where we see Hong Shao pop up at least once. I know a lot of people had her in Supporting Actress. And then she sort of fizzled out. I'm not, yeah, I'm not even thinking something like that. I'm thinking more along the lines of this is where like Cynthia Nixon shows up for A Quiet Passion. Oh, that feels right to me for the random, random Sagnum. I could definitely see that. You know, I'm thinking of something that maybe like earlier in the year, we've kind of written it off, like it's not going to happen. And all of a sudden it's like, wait, what? This is actually still in play? You know what I mean? 
Like that's sort like that's sort of a, a surprise. Deborah Winger for the lovers. That's not gonna happen. <laughs> not gonna happen. I'm, I'm trying to stretch here. God damn it. I'm trying to stretch. I'm talking like something. Think back to earlier in the year when our nominations were pretty insane. <laughs> Ray Romano for the big sick. See now that. We've been predicting a Holly Hunter all throughout the season, but remember early on in the season when we thought that Kumail Nanjiani could get Golden Globe Best Actor? I mean, he still he still could show up in comedy musical, but we also thought Ray Romano could be showing up in supporting actor. Yeah, he's not so far-fetched. No. Miranda Richardson for Stronger, if that movie actually does stay on their radar. Yeah, I, I mm, man, this, this is going to be, you know what? I can't wait to do our SAG uh, nomination predictions at some point. That's going to be so much fun. Oh, I got one. I got the last one. Tiffany Haddish for Girls' Night. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, people were talking about that. That You know, if they could get Melissa McCarthy for Bridesmaids, why not this? Yeah. And that, you know, honestly, that could be a weird one where she also shows up at the Globes if they, uh, I don't know, put her lead in comedy or musical. Because who else is it going to be? Like Emma Watson or uh, Selma Hayek? Wow. Z- McDormand could probably go comedy, too. I mean, she'll get in there. Selma Hayek actually is not far off, like far of a stretch. I, I think Selma Hayek is um, a great example oh. of a deserving performance that we have completely written off that could make its comeback there. That actually is a really, really great suggestion there, Michael. How about Claire Foy for Breathe shows up? I think Andrew Garfield's going to be ignored all season, and he could show up at SAG even. Yeah, that, that yeah, that, and that could be one of those, come on. Yeah. Token, like yeah. like uh, Army Hammer and J. Edgar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so speaking of which, because this kind of ties in a little bit, uh, Jet once again comes back with another question. This is at Jet. 5459 on Twitter. What are the chances for Daniela Vega in Best Actress? Is she going to be the Isabel Huppert of this year? I don't think she will be, but I don't think it's that far of a stretch. Yeah, I mean, Sony was Sony Pictures Classics was counting on Annette Bening being the big horse this year, and, and that's not going to happen. So, I mean, they got to back somebody in this category. And the, that's a tough category, but yeah, there's a world where she gets in. You know, if they play up the narrative of it's the first transgender nominee in history, they could, they could probably get her in. I mean, that's one I'll have to wait until, you know, like Los Angeles critics and New York film critics see if she pops up anywhere. It could really go either way, but I wouldn't be shocked. Uh, and this one is from FilmGuy619, The Wolf Matt on Twitter. Was there ever a film that you guys saw it in the theaters and walked out of because it was so bad? Yep. I walked out of all the movies, I'm very surprised by this, of the film Sisters with Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. I'm not surprised by that. I thought it was so beneath their talent, and I was just in hell watching it. There was nothing funny about it. I just was so let down by this movie that had such potential with these two great talents. Uh... I walked out of W, the Oliver Stone film. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, you just didn't like the performances, or you hated how they portrayed Bush? I just remember being completely bored by it. So you actually like that movie. I also walked out of another Michael Schwartz film. I walked out of Rules Don't Apply. <laughs> I remember you called me. as you were leaving. Oh, man. That movie was so fucked. And then, and then Mike gave it a nine in his review. <laughs> Good times. Uh, last question. Lewis Anderson at Lewis is tweeting. 
what do you think is the most disappointing movie of the year so far? Mm. My answer is easily The Snowman. <laughs> With the talent involved in that film, that should have been a, such a better movie than what it was. At least decent. You know, it should have been just like a, a decent pot boiler. It sounds like it's worse than Girl on a Train. It is. That's, that's extraordinary. It is. Girl, Girl on a Train is actually, believe it or not... Uh, there, there's some merit in Girl on a Train. I mean, Emily Blunt gives a really phenomenal performance in that movie. Nobody gives a good performance in this. This movie is terribly edited. The storyline makes literally no sense. I, 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 I trashed it earlier. I don't need to trash it again. That film easily, by far, takes it for me. I'm trying to think what was particular. I haven't seen any really bad films this year is the thing. So it's hard to see what really disappointed me. We're totally not making a top ten worst list. This oh, year, y- you know, right now. you know what? Um, Free Fire. I guess the co- I, you know, it promised itself as exactly what it was, but I was expecting something a little bit more. Instead of, I think the way I described it when we talked about it on the show a few months back was, it sounds like if you gave that guy in your intro to cinema class whose top 10 favorite films are all Tarantino movies, if you gave him 10 million and let him make a feature for his first ever project, that's Free Fire. It felt like a bad Tarantino knockoff, and it wasn't even that fun, which is what disappointed me the most. The sound is great, though. I hear you on that. And Michael. You all know where I stand on this, and I don't think it's worth repeating again before we get into conflict. It's going to be Blade Runner 2049. It is. (laughs) God, yes. Uh, okay, no conflict. Moving on. <laughs> Will Mavity, hit us with the news for this week, man. All right. So we already mentioned that Chappaquiddick's moving. Not that he was going to factor in anyway, but it's worth noting. Um, okay, so Dick Poop. Do you remember? <laughs> yeah, we all remember Dick Poop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so Dick Pope has joined the, uh, for those who don't know that, on nomination morning, Dick Poop, the cinematographer, was referred to, Dick Pope, the cinematographer, was referred to as Dick Poop. He's doing the Harry Hull spinoff movie. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Dick Pope is uh, going to be sh- DPing a project that'll be written, directed, and starring Chiwetel Ejiofor based on the book The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind. I gotta be very kind to you right now, Will, and just say it's Chiwetel Ejiofor. How did I pronounce it? Not that. <laughs> Chiwetel Ejiofor uh, is writing, directing, and starring that based on that best-selling book about a 13-year-old boy who uh, been, built windmills to save his village after I think he failed out of school. And, and while I'm at it right now, it's Sersha Ronan. Sersha Ronan. So, or uh, Shisha, as they pronounced it at the Golden Globes. I, I don't even know how you said it earlier, but it has stayed with me since then. I said, I think, I think I said Sorshi, not Sersha. Oh, I, I, if I think of any more, I'll bring them up. But continue, please. All right. Uh, okay. So, uh, Morgan Freeman is going to be in <laughs> in the Colleen Paul. But no, Morgan Freeman's going to be in the Colin Powell uh, biopic from the guy who just did Marshall this year. So, interesting story to be found there. Marshall, I know some people thought was good, not great. It'll be interesting to see if this one could be elevated to something great. And I love the title of this new movie. You know what it is, right? Powell. The Last Sane Republican. Oh, wow. The Colin Powell. Is that what it's called? 
That's ballsy. No, that's what I'm referring to it as. Oh. Oh, oh. Oh, I thought that I was... That was my little attempt at some political humor on the Next Best Picture podcast. I think, if anything, people are laughing at just me and Will being disappointed by the joke. <laughs> you should pitch that to them. Damn. Um, okay. Yeah, Star Wars, the last Republican, the last sane Republican. <laughs> Uh, all right, so let's see. Cher is going to be in Mamma Mia 2, and Michael Schwartz yes, shits his pants. Cher is still... Cher is still relevant? What? Cher is always oh, relevant, Cher is relevant. She's, First of all, she's an Oscar winner. Okay? Have you ever seen her Twitter account? That woman uses more emojis than teenage girls. <laughs> all right, uh, Riz Ahmed is going to be in Netflix's modern-day Hamlet. There is a lot of modern day Shakespeare coming out with Anthony Hopkins as King Lear just having been announced too. It's in the public domain, you know, they're just going to keep him coming. So that could be interesting. You know, Netflix, we learned, has more than 80 feature films coming out next year. If they Yet they can't market any of them. Well, if they strike out the Oscars this year, I think they're going to find a way in next year just by uh, sheer necessity, you know, by sheer quantity. But at the same time, The Irishman, we learned, won't be coming out until the first quarter of 2019, which means they're going to drop it in like a February or March release, which means I guess they're not planning on it being an Oscar contender. Shocking given its pedigree, Scorsese and that cast, you would think they would drop that in like October or November. But Since this is sort of a spiritual sequel in a sense to Goodfellas, I'm going to take the song that plays over Goodfellas and flip it. Someday I'll go from riches to rags in terms of Oscars. Yeah, I mean, this in silence, that's not a great back-to-back for someone who's been a perennial Oscar staple. Um, Okay, so we have Roman J. Israel is dramatically being re-edited. They're cutting off 12 minutes of the film and restructuring entirely before its release because uh, nobody really seemed to like that. So who knows, maybe we'll get a leaner, better film that re-enters Denzel or uh, Denzel Washington uh, in... (laughs) In back into the uh, the Oscar race. Yes, I know it's Denzel. I'm just, it was a joke, people. Uh, but yeah, so that's pretty much it for the big news this week. It's, it's kind of a slow week, you know, but we're going to start having the first few awards popping up in the next few weeks. There's the Hollywood Film Awards coming soon. They're going to give Mudbound an ensemble supporting and lead awards to I, Tanya, we know in advance. Now, historically, those awards are basically bought and paid for by studios, so all that really tells us is that Neon is going to, you know, mount the fuck out of an Itania campaign, but we do know that that's going to be happening. So that's pretty much it on my end for news. You know, just putting it out there, if by some miracle the post is either not good or not so much a miracle, this is probable, it releases too late and is not eligible for SAG, I'm starting to think Mudbound could be the SAG Ensemble winner. Well, it'll be eligible for SAG. Why wouldn't it be? Well, think about the films that have released too late oh, and like the have missed SAG before. But that's not a matter of eligibility. Like, DiCaprio still won the SAG award. Yeah, yes, but for exa- I'll, give, I'll give another example. Uh, Wolf of Wall Street missed. Uh, Django Unchained missed. These were all December releases. Okay, so the fact that they didn't really get to it in time. Right, exactly. And it's not so much that they weren't eligible. It's more like they just, not enough people had seen it to be able to get it down. I I still think to this day the Revenant nomination for DiCaprio was people just put it down even without seeing it. Yeah, I think that's exactly what happened. So with that logic applied, if the post is not in there, 
Um, I actually think Mudbound, from my opinion, I think Mudbound is the best ensemble I've seen this year so far. I mean, I can't wait for you guys to see it when it becomes available on Netflix. But you'll see when you when you check out the film that everybody's got equal amount of screen time and everybody really brings it. Uh, it's it's very possible. Yeah, I know people certainly like that movie. And look, Netflix has done it before. They got Beast of No Nation in there. Yeah, they know how to campaign in terms of sending the screeners or Netflix membership to SAG members. I just think they have to do a better job on the Academy front. Oh, yeah, no, I'm not talking about this translating into Best Picture or anything like that. I'm just saying for the SAG Ensemble itself, that could be where Mudbound makes its big stats. I think if – no, I'm going to say that if ultimately um, the post underperforms, I think three billboards will take SAG Ensemble. Oh, you know what? That is – yes, yes. That is very, very – Will, you haven't even seen the film yet, and I'm very impressed with uh, that level of predicting you just – Well, from what, from what I've heard of all the reviews about it, I mean, it, it would make sense. So, and, and I think you're right. I think you are right. All right, gentlemen, any final thoughts? I think that covers it. That's it for me. All righty. Let's get out of here then. Will Mavity, where can they find you on Twitter? Find me on Twitter at Mavericks Movies. Michael. As always, on Twitter at MikeMovie. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you, everyone, for listening to episode 61 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, and on CastBox. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Nothing less than five stars is acceptable. If we have some reviews for next week, I will be so happy to read them out loud, give you guys a shout-out and a metaphorical hug over the air. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you all next time. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.